Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023, the 832nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands, and if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's get started today. Let's set the tempo with a fairly fiery Twitter thread from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here's what she said. Every American should understand our situation as it stands right now. You've all been trained to be loyal to political parties, just like you were loyal to a sports team. But for our country's very own survival, you must put down your mascot and see things clearly. 
We are $31 trillion in debt because of the politicians from both parties who have held power for decades and hold power right now. And these same politicians want a clean debt ceiling increase with no strings attached so they can just keep insanely spending your hard-earned tax dollars until we fully collapse. We are on the brink of nuclear war from our involvement in the Ukraine-Russia war because of the politicians from both parties who have held power for decades and hold power right now. And the top guy in the free press got fired for talking about it because the owners of the media company support defending Ukraine's border and talk to Ukraine's president about it. Our border is out of control and invaded daily by thousands of people in deadly drugs because of the politicians from both parties who have held power for decades and hold power right now. But you're being told by everyone that Ukraine's border is the only border we must defend. Big corporate banks, backed by the Treasury, are swallowing smaller banks in terrifying speed, while these same politicians aligned with others who have financial interests are moving America along with the world to digital currency. At the same time, America is being converted to electric vehicles by the same politicians and their financially invested friends, not because of consumer demand or because electric vehicle batteries are American made and good for the environment because they're not. When everything is digital and electric, will Americans still blindly trust those same old politicians who wave their beloved political mascot as they hold the full power to turn off your bank account and power to drive and recharge and censor your ability to even speak about it if you go against the current thing? Corporate communism is a very real threat to individual freedoms and independence, and America is nearly fully controlled by it because of the same old politicians from both parties who have held power for decades and hold power right now. So while they are failing America by putting you $31 trillion in debt and now arrogantly demanding another debt ceiling increase while pretending to care about our border security, while our BPA are overwhelmed with over 22,000 border apprehensions and countless gotaways in the past three days, and Title 42 will be lifted May 11th, which will open our floodgates, they are drooling with bloodlust for their precious war against Russia in Ukraine, defending democracy instead of responsibly brokering a peace deal between the two countries and using our military to defend our own border that is heavily controlled by the cartels. And the president of the United States' family has been involved in money laundering in exchange for influence at the highest level of our government with his son at the head of the criminal enterprise running the show while also involved in human sex trafficking, and literally everyone in Washington has known for years. But now some of us hold the proof in our hands. But the power to prosecute lies with the complicit DOJ, whose alliance lies with the same old politicians from both parties who have held power for decades and hold power right now. I won't participate or go along to get along. Washington has nothing to offer me, and clearly Washington has nothing to offer the American people either. That is an absolute banger of a statement from Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I'm not the biggest MTG fan in the world. I like her most of the time. I like her a lot sometimes. And there are other times where I'm like, wait a second, what is MTG doing and why is she doing that? The truth is, 
I don't have to know the answer to all the questions that might ever arise. MTG is on the right side of pretty much everything. And statements like this can only be one thing. This is just anti-regime at its core. Now, is she some infiltrator? Might we eventually find out that she is just as deep cover as deep cover can be? And all of this is part of a show where she gains people's trust and then leads them down a bad path. Well, sure, that could be true of absolutely anyone, but you have to look at people on balance and find out whether they are ultimately pushing the awakening forward or pushing the regime agenda forward. And it seems like pretty much all the time, MTG is doing the right thing. But what's really important about statements like this is that they are so comprehensive and they hit that theme over and over again. The old politicians who have held power for decades and continue to hold power right now. That is at the crux of all these issues. And that is one of the things that they really don't like having said to large audiences, large audiences who are open to hearing that sort of thing because they're awake and aware about what's going on in their society. If everyone in the Republican Party was saying things like this every day, we'd be in a lot better shape. As you might imagine, statements like this upset people. Most of those people are actually not people. They're just bots on Twitter. But you can imagine what they're saying. This is all just one big conspiracy theory. You can't prove that all of these people who have been in politics for decades and are still in politics now are actually doing something together that might be causing these problems. It's impossible to prove, even though they have been in power for decades, are still in power now, and all of these problems have developed while they've been in power. One of the craziest things about this entire period is people's hesitancy to believe that the most powerful people in the world are not constantly pursuing their own self-interests just because they always say that they're pursuing the good of everyone else and it just so happens to line up with their self-interests. And what gives them more power, more status, more wealth? People think they can't all be working together, even though they all know each other and have provably connected business interests and political interests and ideological interests, even though they occupy the same boards and think tanks even though their money is invested in the same companies and projects, there's just no way they could all be doing it together. Even though global governance organizations like the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and the WHO and the EU and NATO and the IMF, and you can go on and on and on, even though they all write out their plans about what they're going to do and who they're going to do it with, and they have formalized agreements with all those people who all talk about what they're doing in coordination with these other groups. There's just no way they could be connected and working together and causing all of these problems. Even though they predict the problems and write down their predictions and tell them to everybody 
and then do them in front of everybody, achieving the results that they told everyone they would achieve. There's just no way that all these people can be working together and causing all of these problems. Not while they're out there telling us that they're actually trying to fix all these problems for the sake of everyone, and they just happen to be benefiting in every imaginable way at the same time, including by implementing their ideological agenda that they are happy to express everywhere. It's really hard to believe, I know. The phrase conspiracy theory was literally created to make people sound insane if all they did was notice that the most powerful people in the world are in fact doing things together just like they say they're doing. You're crazy for ascribing intent to what you can see happening by the people who told you they were going to do it. The argument is basically just that their system is too complex for anyone to fully understand. Therefore, there is no system. And besides, everyone is just trying to do their best. If mistakes were made, it's not by them. And it's not because the mistakes were features and not bugs. It's because some random low-level person made a mistake. It's just human error. We've taken care of it. We're going to keep the system in place. And we promise next time it's going to fix everything. As long as you continue to give us more wealth and status and power to enable us to fix things because we are going to fix things for you. So it's all a conspiracy theory. It's all crazy. There isn't systematic evil in our world. It's impossible to even conceive of. Evil people hardly even exist. That's what we're told, right? The pedophiles. It's just one creepy guy in a white van with lollipops. That's the pedophile problem. It exists almost nowhere. That's it, right? We know Nazis are evil. We know about all the evil things they did. And yeah, we're supporting Nazis in Ukraine right now, but that is for a good cause. And we would never do any of the other things Nazis did besides support Nazis for a good cause. We would never burn books. We would never use censorship and propaganda. We would never change the definitions of words. I mean, yes, we did all those things, but it was for a good cause. We would never force medical experimentation or segregate the population. I mean, yeah, we did those things, but it was for a good cause. We would never want to create a superhuman race because we believe that some people are superior to others. And we would never want to make ourselves immortal superhumans like the Nazis wanted, even though we are 100% doing that right now. We would never embrace slavery or work camps or concentration camps, even though we totally fund them in other countries right now. And we have a slave trade on our southern border right now. We would never, ever do those kinds of things. We would never stoke ethnic hatred. We would never create a hate movement all centered around one guy who's trying to destroy our whole thing. We would never do that. We would never project hate society wide on that person's supporters, we would never do that because we're nothing like the Nazis, even though we are doing that now. And we would never, ever 
change laws outside the bounds of the Constitution. We would never steal elections. We would never, ever try to take over countries because we are anti-colonization and we are not like the Nazis. We do not want to take over the world, even though we're doing it right now. And we can show you that we're doing it right now because we have this thing called the United Nations that just popped up out of nowhere a long time ago, as if it's always existed. And we have the World Economic Forum that combines the ideas of the United Nations with corporatism. It marries them in this perfect place so that they can work together all the time in a formalized way, governed by codes of conduct and partnership agreements. None of it could ever happen without systemic evil and systemic evil's not real. Therefore, none of it can happen. It's all a conspiracy theory. What you're upset at is an infinite string of human errors that can simply never be dealt with. The important thing is that we move on from them and move forward. Now, one thing that is absolutely a conspiracy theory is high profile sex trafficking and child trafficking. It could never happen. Systematic evil like that is not possible. Therefore, it doesn't happen, except this is from the Wall Street Journal on Sunday. And it's important to understand before we go through this, that the Wall Street Journal is not going after the power centers of the regime when they print something like this. It is at best a limited hangout in one way or another. It is down to be cover for something. Even if it's just the fact that they are forcing certain powerful figures to walk the plank while the rest are kept safe. This is the headline from Sunday. Epstein's private calendar reveals prominent names, including CIA chief Goldman's top lawyer. The nation's spy chief, a longtime college president and top women in finance. The circle of people who associated with Jeffrey Epstein years after he was a convicted sex offender is wider than previously reported, according to a trove of documents that include his schedules. William Burns, director of the Central Intelligence Agency since 2021, had three meetings scheduled with Epstein in 2014 when he was deputy secretary of state. The documents show they first met in Washington and then Mr. Burns visited Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan. So William Burns, the current director of the CIA, was the deputy secretary of state under Barack Obama and Joe Biden in Obama's second term in 2014. And during that time, he was visiting with Jeffrey Epstein after Jeffrey Epstein was already a convicted pedophile. Catherine Rumler, a White House counsel under President Barack Obama, had dozens of meetings with Epstein in the years after her White House service and before she became a top lawyer at Goldman Sachs Group Incorporated in 2020. He also planned for her to join a 2015 trip to Paris and a 2017 visit to Epstein's private island in the Caribbean. That is Catherine Rumler, White House counsel under Barack Obama. Dan Bongino has spent a lot of time over the years on his show talking about Catherine Rumler, who he describes as Barack Obama's fixer. 
Barack Obama's fixer flying around the world with Jeffrey Epstein, or was at least scheduled to fly around the world with Jeffrey Epstein. Got to be accurate. I'm sure there's no way that could have ever happened. And now she's a top attorney at Goldman Sachs. But the point is, there's no way that any of this could ever happen because systematic evil does not exist and high profile, powerful, political and corporate figures around the world would never, ever be involved with a convicted pedophile. Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, invited Epstein, who brought a group of young female guests to the campus. Noam Chomsky, a professor, author, and political activist, was scheduled to fly with Epstein to have dinner at Epstein's Manhattan townhouse in 2015. None of their names appear in Epstein's now public black book of contacts or in the public flight logs of passengers who traveled on his private jet. The documents show that Epstein arranged multiple meetings with each of them after he had served jail time in 2008 for a sex crime involving a teenage girl and was registered as a sex offender. The documents, which include thousands of pages of emails and schedules from 2013 to 2017, haven't previously been reported. The documents don't reveal the purpose of most of the meetings. The Wall Street Journal couldn't verify whether every scheduled meeting took place. Most of those people told the journal they visited Epstein for reasons related to his wealth and connections. Several said they thought he had served his time and had rehabilitated himself. Mr. Botstein said he was trying to get Epstein to donate to his school. Mr. Chomsky said he and Epstein discussed political and academic topics. So you gotta understand that it's okay to hang out with a convicted pedophile as long as you have financial or intellectual interests that intersect with the convicted pedophile. And it's always good to remember that moral relativism is a necessity in all situations. Otherwise, you might eventually consider that these people are part of systematic evil and that they might be inclined to support systematic evil if, for instance, they were profiting from it, as they just said. Now, this article is a bit long, and we can't focus on everybody or else this will take up the entire show. The article itself is obviously worth the read, despite the fact that it is definitely or almost definitely some sort of limited hangout and or cover up and or smokescreen for what's really going on. But let's focus on William Burns, the current CIA director and former deputy secretary of state under Obama, and Catherine Rumler, who's Obama's fixer and former White House counsel. Mr. Burns met with Epstein about a decade ago as he was preparing to leave government service, said CIA spokeswoman Tammy Kupperman Thorpe. The director did not know anything about him other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector, she said. They had no relationship. So the former deputy secretary of state under Obama, who is now the CIA director, did not know who Jeffrey Epstein was besides his financial genius. In 2014, years after Epstein had been convicted and everyone knew 
he had been convicted. Ms. Rumler had a professional relationship with Epstein in connection with her role at law firm Latham and Watkins. And we've talked about them plenty of times. Very high profile, high powered Washington law firm. She didn't travel with him. A Goldman Sachs spokesman said Epstein introduced her to potential legal clients such as Microsoft Corporation co-founder Bill Gates. So Catherine Rumler, Obama's fixer, was set up with Bill Gates by Jeffrey Epstein. But it's important to remember that none of this could be bad because they had financial or intellectual interests to discuss And when you understand how important that is, then really Jeffrey Epstein is just like Hannibal Lecter and Catherine Rumler is like Agent Starling. Yes, he's a bad guy, but I've got to talk to him and find out what he knows in order to save everyone from a gender non-binary serial killer. Except, of course, this is nothing like that and there's no way that they were doing it for some higher good. They've told you, hey, it's just business. We're just having intellectual conversations. There's nothing going on here. I mean, yeah, he's a convicted human trafficker and pedophile, but I, you know, financial interests. Some more background on the Epstein thing, and then we'll get back into Burns and Rumler. In 2006, Epstein was publicly accused of sexually abusing girls in Florida who were as young as 14 years old. The FBI and police investigated and Epstein reached a deal with prosecutors in 2008. He avoided federal charges and pleaded guilty to soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. He registered as a sex offender and served about 13 months in a work release program. So he could basically just do whatever he wanted. Epstein's case generated waves of media coverage at the time, with publications in the U.S. and abroad reporting on accusations from underage girls and women. In 2006, several politicians returned donations from Epstein. Some associates moved to distance themselves from him. His biggest known client, retail billionaire Leslie Wexner, later said he cut ties in 2007. And Les Wexner, by the way, is the guy who started Victoria's Secret and Abercrombie and Fitch and Bath and Body Works and some other brands. It's funny that they don't mention any of that. He's just a retail billionaire. You wouldn't want to hurt the brands. Skipping down again. Despite the negative press, Epstein's days were filled from morning to night with meetings with prominent people. The documents show there were dinners at New York restaurants, meetings at luxury hotels and gatherings in the offices of prominent law firms. Many appointments were held at Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan. Prosecutors alleged in 2019 that the townhouse is where Epstein sexually abused female victims for years, many underage, and that he paid some of them to recruit their friends to engage in sexual activity. After the Miami Herald reported that dozens of women said they were abused, prosecutors charged Epstein in 2019 with a sex trafficking conspiracy. He died later that year in a New York jail while awaiting trial in what the city's medical examiner said was a suicide. And no one anywhere believes that last part. Tucker was even saying it on television, which may have contributed to his departing Fox News. The point, though, is that there was no point at which Jeffrey Epstein stopped working in his trade. So when people like Burns and Rumler were meeting with him, 
he wasn't just a convicted former pedophile. He was a current pedophile and human trafficker who just happened to be on the loose because of those same political connections. The deputy secretary of state and a White House counsel have absolutely no excuse not knowing who Jeffrey Epstein was. And that's even giving them the benefit of the doubt already. There is absolutely no chance they didn't know who Jeffrey Epstein was, and they visited him anyway. Mr. Burns, 67 years old, a career diplomat and former ambassador to Russia, had meetings with Epstein in 2014 when Mr. Burns was deputy secretary of state. A lunch was planned that August at the office of law firm Steptoe and Johnson in Washington. Epstein scheduled two evening appointments that September with Mr. Burns at his townhouse. The documents show after one of the scheduled meetings, Epstein planned for his driver to take Mr. Burns to the airport. Mr. Burns recalls being introduced in Washington by a mutual friend and meeting Epstein once briefly in New York, said Mrs. Thorpe. The director does not recall any further contact, including receiving a ride to the airport, she said. The following month, October 2014, Mr. Burns stepped down from his role at the State Department to serve as president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, a think tank. He ran the Carnegie Endowment until he was nominated in early 2021 by President Biden to serve as CIA director. So he goes to an incredibly cushy position just after meeting Epstein and remains in that position working for prominent globalists and philanthropists, you know, the very best people of all, until he was chosen by the illegitimate president to direct the CIA. The documents show that Epstein appeared to know some of his guests well. He asked for avocado sushi rolls to be on hand when meeting with Ms. Rumler, according to the documents. He visited apartments she was considering buying. In October 2014, Epstein knew her travel plans and told an assistant to look into her flight. See if there is a first class seat, he wrote. If so, upgrade her. Sounds like Goldman Sachs is probably giving us the full story. They never even knew each other. They just discussed a couple financial interests. It was like the whole thing never happened, honestly. In 2014, Epstein called Ms. Rumler within weeks of her leaving the Obama White House. Epstein planned a lunch in August 2014 at his townhouse, followed by a series of meetings to introduce her to a wider circle of his acquaintances. Ms. Rumler first met Epstein after he called her to ask if she would be interested in representing Mr. Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Goldman Sachs spokesman said. A spokeswoman for Mr. Gates said Epstein never worked for Mr. Gates, misrepresented their relationship, and that Mr. Gates regrets ever meeting with him. Again, it's like it never happened. Bill Gates is just wishing it so, and then it's so, according to the Wall Street Journal, and whichever of their readers want to make excuses for these sorts of things because they've made other excuses for these same people. A lot of people have been doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. I could go on and on and on ad infinitum on their position that Bill Gates must be good. He saved all of these lives in Africa from malaria. He's invested in vaccines, these life 
saving vaccines that have saved everyone's lives. All the pro-vax people through COVID, the ones who were supporting forced medical experimentation and medical segregation, (laughs) even though they never would, even though they never, ever would support those things, they did support them and they supported Bill Gates supporting them. They had to go in on that whole thing. Bill Gates is actually not an evil man. Look at this good that he's doing. You're telling me he's evil in other ways. Well, now I've got to defend him in all those ways or else you'll be right about the vaccine. And I can't let that happen. So we have a lot of people out there who have spent their time supporting Bill Gates, whose father was a eugenicist at Planned Parenthood and who himself is funding the WHO all of these other organizations, the pharma companies, the regulatory boards, as much as anyone, Bill Gates is directing this global pandemic response, at least in a financial sense, if not an on the ground management sense. But it's impossible that one of the best people ever could also be evil. Therefore, Bill Gates is not evil. Therefore, Bill Gates never liked Epstein, genuinely regretted ever meeting him. Epstein misrepresented their relationship when he was setting up those meetings with Obama's fixer, the former White House counsel. Epstein was just misrepresenting their relationship. He was never actually setting up that meeting. Got it. Got it. Got it. And Epstein never worked for Bill Gates. And all of that has to be true. Or else then you might have to think that Bill Gates is a bad guy and then his whole influence on the global medical community might not be as pure and good as you've argued for the last however many years. And then what? Then the whole thing comes crashing down. So better to just avoid it, commie. Pretend it didn't happen. Everybody knows That if it one day comes out, you've been complicit in the cover-up of this horrific moral evil, pleading ignorance and lying about it is sure to get you off the hook. Epstein and his staff discussed whether Ms. Rumler, now 52, would be uncomfortable with the presence of young women who worked as assistants and staffers at the townhouse, the documents show. Women emailed Epstein on two occasions to ask if they should avoid the home while Ms. Rumler was there. Epstein told one of the women he didn't want her around and another that it wasn't a problem, the documents show. Ms. Rumler didn't see anything that would lead her to be concerned at the townhouse and didn't express any concern, the Goldman spokesman said. Over the next few years, Ms. Rumler then a partner specializing in white-collar defense at Latham & Watkins, had more than three dozen appointments with Epstein, including for lunches and dinners. In the normal course, Epstein also invited her to meetings and social gatherings, introduced her to other business contacts, and made referrals, the Goldman spokesman said. It was the same kinds of contacts and engagements she had with other contacts and clients. So it's all the same. Don't you understand? Yeah, we said that she really never met with him at all. But sure, there were 36 meetings on the schedule and he knew what kind of sushi she liked, but pretty much no relationship there at all. In 2015, she was scheduled to fly with Epstein to Paris. And in 2017, he planned to stop in St. Lucia to take her to his island home in the U.S. Virgin Islands for the day, according to the documents. 
Ms. Rumler never visited his island and, quote, never accepted an invitation or an opportunity to fly with Jeffrey Epstein anywhere, the Goldman spokesman said. In addition to her current role as general counsel at Goldman Sachs, Ms. Rumler is co-chair of its Reputational Risk Committee, which monitors business and client decisions for potential damage to the bank's image. Epstein also connected Ms. Rumler with Ariane de Rothschild, who is now chief executive of the Swiss private bank Edmund de Rothschild Group. The bank hired Ms. Rumler's law firm, Latham & Watkins, after the introduction to help with U.S. regulatory matters, according to the bank and Goldman spokesman. Ms. de Rothschild, who married into the famous banking family, had more than a dozen meetings with Epstein. He sought her help with staffing and furnishings, as well as discussed business deals with her, according to the documents. And then you get plenty of statements from the Rothschilds telling you how their relationship was also just a kind of casual sort of thing where they discussed common interests, financial and intellectual. And she never really knew Mr. Epstein's history. Isn't it incredible? The most powerful, competent people in the world with all of the resources, the sorts of people whose reputations are always on the line and can always be harmed by public scandal, the sorts of people who can literally use government connections and resources to get proper background checks on everyone they deal with, had no idea who Jeffrey Epstein was. In September 2013, Epstein asked Mrs. de Rothschild in an email for help finding a new assistant, female, multilingual, organized. I'll ask around, Mrs. de Rothschild emailed back. She bought nearly a million dollars worth of auction items on Epstein's behalf in 2014 and 2015, the documents show. Mrs. de Rothschild was named chairwoman of the bank in January 2015. That October, she and Epstein negotiated a $25 million contract for Epstein's Southern Trust Corporation to provide risk analysis and the application and use of certain algorithms for the bank, according to a proposal reviewed by The Journey. Certain algorithms. The Rothschilds and the Epsteins are working on the application of algorithms for the bank. I have a feeling we're going to hear about that again in the future. Just a feeling. In 2019, after Epstein was arrested, the bank said that Mrs. de Rothschild never met with Epstein and it had no business links with him. The bank acknowledged to the journal that its earlier statement wasn't accurate. It said Mrs. de Rothschild met with Epstein as part of her normal duties at the bank between 2013 and 2019. And Epstein introduced the bank to U.S. finance leaders, recommended law firms, and provided tax and risk consulting. And the article goes on and on. It tells the Noam Chomsky story. It tells some stories about that Botstein guy and some others. But what I want to focus on for the purpose of this discussion is the fact that you now have in the mainstream media, in the public understanding, inside the bubble acknowledgement that very powerful people in this world are directly connected to Jeffrey Epstein, the current CIA director who was former deputy secretary of state. He says, I barely know the guy. 
Catherine Rumler, Barack Obama's White House counsel, and Barack Obama's fixer, seems to have a fairly friendly relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. She says, I barely know the guy. Ariane de Rothschild, global banker, all the way at the top, the best of the best of the best people. She has a very close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. How does it happen? After you are a convicted human trafficker and pedophile, given an extraordinarily light sentence, you are able to go out and start your life again, the lifestyle of the rich and the famous and the powerful, with all of these rich and famous and powerful people needing, for one reason or another, your services. Now, people have largely speculated, understood, theorized that Jeffrey Epstein is basically an intelligence community honeypot. Who knows who he's run by? If he's run, is he running things or was Ghislaine Maxwell running things the entire time? Her father, Robert Maxwell, media magnate and Mossad asset. How does that piece link in the entire story over the last few years from Epstein's imprisonment and then his suicide to the capture and trial and conviction of Ghislaine Maxwell? We still haven't gotten the client roster yet. Why is that? These are two very powerful people connected to global bankers, former presidential administrations, the CIA. Gosh, it's hard to understand why we haven't seen the client roster. They're the only two people, as many have said, to traffic women and children for sex to no one. So we have to assume that the Wall Street Journal publishes this either to send us off course completely or because disclosure has reached a level where it's better for them to put out a story like this and try to give people a story that they can feel at least sort of comfortable with in advance of stories that will be much, much worse because people will have the idea that they're already knowledgeable about the subject matter. They actually don't need the new information. And at some point they will tell themselves that going too far in blaming the people involved with all of this is itself a new conspiracy theory. And they're just saying conspiracy theory for anything that they're uncomfortable with thinking about or learning about or eventually accepting. Once they're able to tell themselves only the crazy people think this, then they don't have to pay attention to it anymore. So they'll hear about this article. They won't see any arrests around the world. They'll think, okay, well, the situation's bad, but if it was really bad, the government would do something about it. They wouldn't just let people like this get away with things if they had actually done something bad. This article says that most of these people barely even knew Jeffrey Epstein. And because they're all still walking around free. In fact, William Burns is the director of the CIA and Catherine Rumler is at Goldman Sachs and Ariane de Rothschild is still at the Rothschild Bank. If they were doing something bad, they wouldn't have those prominent positions. Therefore, it's not possible that they're doing something bad. So we can't know exactly why this story came out and why now, although it's probably at least a preview 
and an indicator that we're going to see more of this stuff in the future. But we have to assume that they are okay with us knowing this, and that's why they're telling us, which generally means there's a lot more that they're hiding so that we never know. And of course, the media, as always, is compliant in this, and people have figured that out now. This is from the Associated Press yesterday. Americans fault news media for dividing nation. When it comes to the news media and the impact it's having on democracy and political polarization in the United States, Americans are likelier to say it's doing more harm than good. Nearly three quarters of U.S. adults say the news media is increasing political polarization in this country, and just under half say they have little to no trust in the media's ability to report the news fairly and accurately. According to a new survey from the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research and Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. And it's kind of funny that the AP doesn't call itself conspiracy theorists for working with an organization with Robert F. Kennedy's name on it, because his son, of course, is one of the biggest conspiracy theorists there is. The poll released before World Press Freedom Day on Wednesday shows Americans have significant concerns about misinformation and the role played by the media itself, along with politicians and social media companies in spreading it. But that many are also concerned about growing threats to journalists' safety. The news riles people up, said 53-year-old Barbara Jordan, a Democrat from Hutchinson, Kansas. Jordan said she now does her own online research instead of going by what she sees on the TV news. You're better off Googling something and learning about it. I trust the internet more than I do the TV. Well, hey, Barb, good call about not trusting the TV, but you got to stop Googling things because Google is literally designed to convince you that the story on TV is true. It's all the same story. Are you going to get more details on the story from Google? Sure you are. Are you going to hear the story in 20 different ways instead of just one by going on Google rather than watching the TV news? Sure you are. Does that matter at all when it's the wrong story in all 20 instances? No, of course not. You're still addicted to the central narrative. That breakdown in trust may prompt Americans to reject the mainstream news media, often in favor of social media and unreliable websites that spread misleading claims and that can become partisan echo chambers leading to further polarization. The Associated Press knows best. The Associated Press can never be described as an unreliable website that spreads misleading claims. They are the authoritative source. The Associated Press is one of the prime voices of the authoritative source. So anything that disputes what the Associated Press says must be wrong. Sure, the Associated Press is absolutely, unequivocally part of the mainstream media. And they just did a poll that shows them no one trusts the mainstream media. But the Associated Press is telling you that refers to someone else in those deep, dark corners of the Internet where all the conspiracy theorists go. This article is kind of amazing. It really does try to make the case that Americans don't trust the media, but it's because of misinformation. 
that Americans don't trust the media. Therefore, more needs to be done to slow the spread of misinformation. Just two weeks to slow the spread. Here's what their case becomes. Social media plays a key role with nearly two thirds of respondents saying that when they see a news story on social media, they expect it to be inaccurate. Those who said they rely on social media regularly for their news were somewhat more likely to trust it than others. Overall, about six in 10 said the news media bears blame for the spread of misinformation. And a similar percentage also said it has a large amount of responsibility for addressing it. Majorities also think others, including social media companies and politicians, share in the responsibility for both the spread of misinformation and for stopping it from spreading. Now, the problem with polling questions like this and polling in general is that the questions can generally be taken two different ways, depending on whether you exist in the empirical observable reality or whether you are participating in the central narrative and in every way part of the false reality where everything is totally inverted. Do you trust the media? Well, from our perspective, everybody would say, no, of course not. That's absurd. The media literally exists to lie to us and to make us believe a whole bunch of things about the world that are provably false. And once they've confused us and unmoored us from what actually exists, once we no longer have the capacity to observe reality because the meaning of everything has been twisted and inverted and we have adopted all of that because of societal incentives and punishments, the social forces that play out at our workplace and in our relationships and in our families. Then we become atomized. Then nothing means anything. Morality is relativistic and pointless. And we can see this process play out right before our own eyes. Of course, we don't trust the media. We would never trust those people. Those people are obviously not to be trusted. They lie all the time in the same direction for the same reasons, all of which is observable. Now, the other side will also say, that they don't trust the media and they don't trust social media and they don't trust the government because what they witness is aspects of all of those things, whether it's Fox News or disinformation in social media or politicians on the other side amplifying conspiracy theories. All of them are eroding trust in the news and they see stories that conflict with what they believe Therefore, assuming that those news sources are untrustworthy, even without ever reading those news sources or having any idea of what's going on in the world. So both groups respond the same way to the question. They don't trust the media. It's just that they don't trust the media for two entirely different reasons based on one's adherence to the central narrative, the total inversion in the false reality. And because there are two totally different reasons for believing that the media is untrustworthy, that means there must be two totally different solutions. And that's what we're having described to us. The solutions are more control over misinformation, disinformation, malinformation online. What we need is a trustworthy mainstream media. And everybody is more likely to trust the mainstream media when no one else 
is telling a different story. You see how that works? And so rather than presenting both solutions in the article, they only present the solution that continues to help them. They don't say at any point in that article, well, you know, some people actually understand the corporate nature of mass media. They understand that the only thing the media is doing is trying to tell us what to believe so that they can construct the world in their own image and people will go along with it. The article doesn't tell us that what people really want is the full decentralization of media. What people want is a free and open market of ideas. They only tell us the other side, that the solution is more control over misinformation, as if we haven't had enough. America First Legal today put out this press release. America First Legal files landmark federal class action lawsuit against private entities that conspired with the federal government to censor speech. So how about that? Today, America First Legal filed a federal class action against key persons and entities involved in the so-called Election Integrity Partnership and the Virality Project on behalf of Jill Hines, the co-director of Health Freedom Louisiana, and Jim Hoft, the founder of the popular news website, The Gateway Pundit. Defendants include the Stanford Internet Observatory and its director and research manager, Alex Stamos and Renee DeResta, Dr. Kate Starbird of the University of Washington, Graphica and the Atlantic Research Council's Digital Forensics Lab. And so all of these people and entities have been mentioned over the past few months in the Twitter files, which it's worth noting become immediately good because they give people the context to understand this. The question we've been discussing now for months throughout the Twitter files is, is this a legitimate document dump onto these reporters who go through all the documents and figure out what the stories really are? Or is it a controlled info op a release of this information through journalists who will be read and listened to by normal mainstream Americans who don't know much about any of this stuff due to, by the way, their own ignorance and laziness, it must be said. Or is it a limited hangout designed to protect Twitter and powerful people by giving out only a little bit of the story? I have said throughout much of that time that I believe that it is an info op a controlled release of a prepackaged intelligence product and that the release has a purpose. Most of the stories had to do with things that the public already had a baseline understanding of, and it's added a lot of detail to those stories. Now that all of that is present in the public mind, something like this moves forward based on that public understanding and driven by the fact that the public gets that there is really evidence and information underlying all of this. This isn't a conspiracy theory that was filed with the courts. This historic lawsuit alleges that these parties conspired with the federal government to conduct a mass surveillance and censorship operation targeting the political speech of millions of Americans on social media platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter under its prior ownership. 
This operation was specifically designed to target conservative political speech on questions of great public interest like election integrity, COVID-19 vaccines and vaccine mandates. The scope of the surveillance and censorship cannot be overstated. The defendants admitted that during 2020, they surveilled a staggering 859 million posts on Twitter alone and that they tracked for possible censorship almost 22 million tweets. Again, during seven months in 2021, they tracked posts about COVID-19 with about 200 million engagements for possible censorship. Americans who dared to speak out against the woke liberal orthodoxy that has infiltrated every sector of corporate America would face the threat of censorship and deplatforming by big tech giants and these elusive surveillance organizations acting together with the federal government. And this is the key part that Americans really need to wake up and understand. Political speech has been curtailed in this country to the great detriment of everyone. And it was done in coordination with these private organizations, these non-governmental organizations in direct partnership with the U.S. government. The U.S. government delegated to private organizations the censorship of American citizens' political speech in direct violation of the First Amendment. The government cannot delegate to other organizations that which they are not allowed to do themselves. And they have received cover for all of this because regime media continues to tell the American public that Section 230 protects all of these organizations. They claim that the government actually wasn't directing any of this, but that is provably false. That position is not even tenable anymore. If you have followed this show for any period of time, you know, I don't believe that at all. And it was proven years ago. It's not even a discussion. The government works in coordination with outside organizations to censor the political speech of Americans in direct violation of the First Amendment. AFL's lawsuit alleges that this massive operation was concocted in collusion with government officials, including federal national security officials, to evade the First Amendment, all while shielding the government bureaucracy. If proven, this is an overt, intentional and explosive violation of the Constitution at the hands of the government. Congratulations, America First Legal, for putting it so clearly. America First Legal has long led a fierce legal battle against the censorship and disinformation regime, filing multiple lawsuits and dozens of oversight investigations to hold bad actors and the government accountable for violating the First Amendment. The crusade we see against free speech in America, seemingly every day, is fundamentally antithetical to the country that our founders intended and rooted in a deep animosity toward the Constitution. The concept of a government by the people for the people has been inverted. The federal bureaucracy is not operating for the people. It is actively working against them with the help of weaponized private actors. It is time for accountability. So that's their press release. And they include a statement from America First legal president, Stephen Miller. 
Today, America First Legal is striking at the heart of the censorship industrial complex for our clients. We are filing a landmark class action lawsuit against the organizers and architects of an elaborate conspiracy to surveil and censor Americans to stop them from exercising their fundamental right to free speech, to silence, banish and deprive them of the means to earn a living. These nonprofit disinformation organizations and the other defendants allegedly conspired with the government to deny Americans their inalienable rights, flagging content and creators for government entities so that those entities in turn would pressure platforms to remove that content or those creators. They created a regime of surveillance, censorship and control fit for communist China. Under the Orwellian guise of policing mis- and disinformation, the organizations and entities we are suing today are responsible for radically eroding the rights and liberties upon which the survival of free society depends. We will fight to hold them liable in a court of law and seek full and complete justice for their victims. America First Legal will continue to lead the charge to rescue America from tyranny. And they attach the legal filing at the bottom. And so I know that people think Things aren't happening or they're not happening fast enough. This is how things happen. We just have to accept that at this point. Things don't happen at the speed we want. It doesn't matter that powerful people know what's right and are in a position to change it. Things need to be changed by the book or else it won't stick. It won't work. There won't be buy-in from the American public. If you go too fast, you can create a civil war. And the counter to that. I do understand that the people saying this are saying it in good faith, but they would say, if it goes too slow, then we lose the country. And to that, I would say we haven't lost the country yet, and things are actually getting better over time. This stuff isn't subsiding. It's getting bigger and it's happening more often and it's going faster as the public begins to understand what's actually happening here. If 90% of the public understood the day after the election in 2020 that the election had obviously been stolen and that the results were a product of widespread systemic fraud, then perhaps it could have been immediately overturned in full view of the American public. And we would have been able to have a stabilized society throughout that period of adjustment where people realize and accept what has actually happened to their country. But that's not where we were. The media was too strong. People still held their trust in the media. They didn't believe that the media could lie to them about something like an American election, even though it had just spent eight months lying to them about a pandemic. But we're not at that point anymore. The public now is beginning to understand all of this. The lawsuits that are being filed and that are progressing through the court system as slow and as frustrating as that process can be are now being seen as legitimate filings in order to protect the rights of Americans and not just crazy conspiracy theories from those delusional MAGA people who just can't accept that they've lost on all these issues. These are the right cases to be bringing them, and we're seeing them now for a reason. We saw the Twitter files released slowly over time to lay all of this out for a reason, and we can see the two things as they come together and where they're going. 
And we see the same pattern repeat in every area we are discussing. The problem is not that nothing's happening. The problem is that the mess is really, really big. The infiltration is really deep. The deep state is really powerful. The global regime has had control over all of this and has grown their control for a very long time. You can't just clean all that up in one fell swoop by appealing to the most powerful people. Donald Trump, please save us. Military, please save us. Those things can all be happening, but they just can't happen all at once without completely destabilizing society and without making extraordinarily important mistakes. And that's the thing you have to avoid if you want the solution to stick. This is the process by which that solution can actually stick. And that's why this process is the right process to pursue. It is everybody's own responsibility to look after their own lives and make sure that their own situations are taken care of their physical health, their mental health, their close personal relationships, their ability to be productive and earn a living. That's everyone's own responsibility to take care of. If you've got all of that squared away, well, then figure out a way that you can fight for your country and begin improving things in your own family, your own community at the local level and see where all that work takes you and takes the people in your community. Can you improve your community with your friends? Can you help people who are just waking up right now? Can you spread this truth out and make sure that people know how important it is to figure out ways to get involved? Things are happening at higher levels, but those things need to be done in certain ways in order to be most effective and in order for the solution to stick. You just have to take care of yourself and figure out what you can do from your position to help. And if everybody focuses on that, the rest does not need to be a concern because people are coming in our direction. They are joining the cause. Our reinforcements are inbound and their side is getting depleted at an unbelievable pace. There will come a time we will reach a point where the people on their side who have been making all of the noise about COVID and masks and lockdowns and George Floyd and how the election was so very safe and secure and whining about the insurrection and blah, 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 blah. All of that. Those people are going to silence themselves because their positions become untenable. They become socially untenable to the point where the incentives no longer exist for them to continue to repeat the slogans in public. And they begin to feel social backlash for holding on to positions that are so stupid and ignorant that the rest of society has already moved on from all the things they used to be able to say and garner social credit in social situations. Well, saying those same things now becomes embarrassing and shameful. Like you don't really believe that, do you? And at that point, all the defenses of the central narrative have fallen away. That's the point at which all of this can move forward with a very small risk of destabilizing society. And if we want to go on, if we want to have a prosperous nation, if we want to make America great again, if we want to enter the American Renaissance, then this has to be done without destabilizing society. You can be frustrated with it all you want, but it's important to understand that not only did it have to be this way, at this point, 
It literally could not have been any other way. And it should be fairly easy to see that we are winning and we will win. And nothing's going to stop that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com 
slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!